0: we've come to the fifth one that we've been talking about and we said this is difficult to do any sort of timeline here but nonetheless um, let's see if we can recall the things at least from some sort of timeline that have taken place in bringing us to faith so what's the first thing that happens in eternity past before anything ever took place that we talked election so as far as we know this is as far back as we can go as far as our salvation is concerned and it's solely what god did don't understand uh well you never want to try to understand beyond the text you go as far as the text and don't go any further but nonetheless we do have a lot of questions about this but we do understand what the text says about this And I don't know that you can advance a timeline, but what was the second thing that we talked about again in eternity past? Remember, predestination. And again, you know, did those happen simultaneously? I don't know. Uh, We're talking about God here. and We're not talking about a man, so he doesn't have to order his thoughts. But nonetheless, Um, something that does take place that we do have enough understanding of it because we all have experienced that. And what's the third thing that we talked about? Effectual call. Effectual call. Now, we all remember this. If you don't remember this, that's difficult. You need to remember this. Um, and we, we talked a lot. Cody led us in this, and we talked a lot about that. What was the next one that we talked about last week? Regeneration. Regeneration. But I told you I didn't like that word we like that word we do understand what that means from the text we're born again right so we come to the fifth one that we talked about and there's a lot more to talk about this one i've divided out i started to look at the second one because this one is a little bit short but the next one is actually justification and it's not short at all and then if i'm not mistaken then we actually come to faith and then we actually come to repentance so we still have a great deal to talk about but these right here are going to take quite a bit of time but i don't think this one will take much time because it's an illustration that we understand because the illustration hasn't changed since the apostle paul used the illustration in describing our relationship with god we come into relationship with god through adoption and you know if you ever hear a sermon on this they usually start out in greek culture and what adoption meant in greek culture and all this stuff it basically means the same now as it did back in greek culture i mean there were a slight differences if a king was involved but you know i don't know that paul was thinking about that when he used this term this is something only paul used but he used it in a number of significant places to help us understand better about our relationship with the lord so again i think i don't think this one is going to be too difficult for us now this is a compound word and once you see the parts of the word and what each are, it perfectly makes sense. So the first word is pronounced weos, and it is literally translated son. Okay? So you have weos is the first, and then the "thesis" or tehithemi, say that right, means to place. So when you look at adoption, the, the word in Greek literally means to place the sun. Okay, Now, you can see how that's very different than new birth. You can't say, okay, these things, new birth and and adoption, those are the same things. Well, no, they're not, right? You can see how being born again is very different than to place the son into the family, okay? And so it is, especially in this church, in the context of this church, there's so many kids that have been adopted into this church. There's so many kids that have been affected through foster care in this church. I mean, this Robin Becky just picked up Samuel yesterday. He's going to be affected by the reality of this, right? So it's meant to strike you that way. It's a very affectionate term. It should warm your hearts to know what God has done through the work of Christ and bringing you into the family of God. You weren't a part of the family of God, but now you are a part of the family of God because He's adopted you through the work of Christ. He has taken you And He has placed you in the family of God as sons and daughters of God. That's something you ought to give a lot of thought about, especially you guys that have been a part of adoption or foster care or anything like that. That is literally what has happened to you. And I think some of these adopted kids will understand more about their relationship with the Lord than you will. Because that hasn't happened in your life. You will understand what life was like in some of these cases of these kids. They will understand what life was like before you adopted them, and now they'll understand what life is like now that you've adopted them, and they can see a radical difference. They had no hope, right? In many cases, without love. But now, all they know is love, and all they know is hope because of what you have done. In the very same way, because of what God has done, you had no hope, no love, and now you've been brought into a love that you can't even describe. It's so profound. And so that's what this word means, is is to place us as sons in the family of God. Now, this is an interesting word, right? Because we talk about salvation. And if I asked you when you were saved, I mean, I would get answers all across the room. Somebody, some wisecrack would probably say before the foundation of the world, right? And they would be right. I mean, they would literally be right. Somebody else might say, oh, I was saved the day Jesus died on Calvary. And you would be theologically spot on. You were saved in that day, right? Some of you might reflect on the day in which the Spirit of God raised you from the dead. And you remember God effectually calling your name and you turn from your sins and put your faith in this. Okay, all of those have something in relationship and they're all salvation past tense. But we also see in Scripture, well, in fact, if you'll study salvation in Scripture, that's the least tense used in the Scriptures. Present tense is used a ton. You are being saved, okay? You throw that wrench in somebody's cogwheel, it'll mess them all up, who only think of salvation in a past tense. You're You're in a present tense of being saved right now. But there's also another tense that's used even more than a past tense, and that's a future tense. You're going to be saved. I mean, when Jesus returns, we're going to be saved, okay? So when you consider salvation, it's a past, it's a present, and it's a future tense, and I can find them in all three tenses in the scriptures, and they're all equally true. So this is how special a word like that is. When you're super discouraged and even doubting your own salvation, you can reflect on that past tense salvation. It's a salvation that Satan himself couldn't do anything about because God did it in eternity past, right? Satan can't change that. It would be nice to sit down with Job, believe it or not, in all of his sorrows and talk about his past tense salvation in eternity past. And even though Satan is just ripping your physical world apart, he cannot lay a hand on the spiritual reality of your salvation, right? But there's also sometimes where we need a desperate hope for salvation and we can reflect on the present tense salvation or not the present tense but the future tense salvation knowing that one day i will be saved christ will return and all this will be over and we will fully and finally know what salvation means but sometimes we know we need to get off the backseat of our pants and get busy pursuing this salvation that we have and we can reflect on those present tense salvation knowing that we are being saved. Second Peter chapter 1 would be a great place to reflect on that. We're in the process of being saved. Okay? So you got words like that that you need to understand and adoption is one of those words. Guess when you were adopted? Before time. That's amazing. God set His affection on you set you apart for adoption before he set any stars in the sky but guess when else you will be adopted when christ returns and that will be like chris and then went to the courthouse recently right and they held up the sign that's going to be the day we walk out of the courthouse and we realize the fullness of our salvation because we have a new last name metaphorically speaking you understand but there, are, there is also a present tense reality of our adoption that takes place within space and time. And those are the ones that we should reflect on often. So this is one of those words that you need to see how it's being used. You need to reflect on the time frame in which it's being used. But then, like I said, Paul uses it, as, he uses it in a particular context. Okay, he lays down the indicative. He shows you the reality of your adoption, and then like Paul always does, he runs to the commands or he runs to the imperatives to say, okay, since you've been adopted as a child of God, how should you live? Like your father who adopted you. Right? Chris, do you have expectations for those kids you just adopted? Struggling, but yes. (laughs) And you're going to determine how they're going to live. Right? There's no different in our own adoption. (laughs) Working on it. Well, guess what God says about you? (laughs) He's working on it. Right? But we're called to live that way. I know who my Heavenly Father is. All right, then work on how you live. Stop living how you used to live and start living like the the good God who's adopted you and placed you in His family as a son with full rights and privileges. Literally, co-heirs with Christ. And if any son, you know... Carson might have the day where he crosses his end vine and go, you know, this is really kind of not fair, Dad. I'm the original one, right? Jesus is the original and only son that the father ever had, yet you and I are co-heirs with him. And we're just like, wow, something funny about that, but praise the Lord for that. But that's how we're described as co-heirs with Christ through adoption. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. All right, well, let's look at some of these passages. And again, I think they will, as long as my iPad works, they'll kind of go smoothly. Here we go. He predestined us, heiress active, one single time effective action, right, Jeremy? He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So we understand when this was taking place, right? He predestined us to this. And by the way, here's your word. I told you, it's a compound word. There's son and there's to place. And so we literally translate it with three words, adoption as sons, right? But God predestined us. Now we got all these prepositions. To adoption through Iesu Christu, through Jesus Christ, to himself, and then we'll talk about this in just a second. So you were predestined to adoption through the work of Jesus Christ to God the Father. That is where you were placed as a son to the Heavenly Father. And the only way that that took place was through whose work. Not your work. It all took place through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You weren't adopted because you were cute. You weren't adopted because you had a pretty smile. You were a good kid. You were the first one to run to mom. Out of all the kids standing there, you were the one that reached up your arms to mom and dad and they picked you up and go, this right here is the one I'm going to take home. Me. None of that took place. You were adopted solely through the work of Jesus Christ. That's how you came into the family of God, not your work. But then, what was the basis of your adoption? You were brought to God, but what was the basis of your adoption? The kindness of God. The kindness of God. That's it. (coughs) Simply because of the kindness of God expressed through his sovereign will. That's it. You think about the rest of the adoptions in here as well. They were done out of y'all's kindness. In some situations, you had pity. You had sorrow for those particular children and those sorts of things. But it really boiled down to whether we're going to do this or not based on what was going on inside of you, your character, not the child's character, Right? You were adopted in the family of God on the same basis of the character of God, not your character, right? If you will, you were the ugly kid sitting in the corner that nobody wanted. Smelled bad, right? And God had pity on you out of His kindness and adopted you. So there's past tense. What tense is this? And not only this in Romans eight twenty three, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When is that taking place? That's what we wait for. So you're adopted in eternity past, but you still wait your adoption. I don't know what illustration you could liken this to. Maybe the paper's getting signed. Maybe the name getting changed. I don't know. But both the realities are equally true. It's happened, and you will know the full experience of that one day at the return of Christ. All right, Galatians 4, and I think Travis has taken us through this, but It probably says more about adoption. Well, again, they're both Paul, but Galatians 4 teaches us a lot about adoption as well. So I think I've got two or three more passages. This one's rather long, so let me read through this. Now I say, As long as the heir is a child, he does not defer or differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we... While we were children, we we're held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, and that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father... Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. So what's the timeline here of your adoption? What point were you adopted? When Christ came, or when Christ died. Your adoption is in direct relationship to the work of Christ. So again, it's just like salvation. It took place in eternity past. It will take place one day, and it took place through the work of the Son in that moment. You were set aside as the sons of God. But verse 7 is, is for probably what teaches us one of the most significant things. Because you've been adopted, you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir. Rightfully an heir of the kingdom of God. So in other words, nothing's withheld. All of you ad- adopting kids, you're not going to say, well, you know, this one's my natural born, but you were adopted, so, you know, you're not going to receive this, 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 or the inheritance. You wouldn't do that, and neither does our Heavenly Father do that. You're adopted in the family of God, and you're an heir of the kingdom of God. Okay? It's pretty special. Now, this one is interesting. A lot of people take this one and just run with it. But this is a unique, uh, talking about just the Israelites in Romans 9, who are the Israelites to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple services, and the promises. Okay? So you have some passages that relate adoption specifically, specifically to the Hebrew nation. But then you've got other passages that speak about our adoption. So you can't tie it down, but you've got to understand it's a broad context. And if you think about adoption in relationship to the Old Testament, they're the only peoples that God chose to build a relationship with. And so God gives them the imagery. You know, I adopted you in the Old Testament. Out of all the other nations, there was one nation that I brought to myself in a unique relationship. And it was the Israelites. You had that, right? And they still wouldn't follow their Heavenly Father. And then we come to Romans 8, and this is the last one, and I think, yeah, this is the last one. Paul says in 8.15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And this particular phrase, you know, it's very personal. It's very unique. Um, I remember teaching on this one time, and we don't have any kids here that can do this um, but Melissa do you know Benson's voice when he says mama okay you know and a lot of kids can come through here and shout mama and Melissa's not going to turn her head but when Benson comes rolling through here and shouts mama she's going to turn her head there is a relationship there that is I mean we just can't put physical words to describe the relationship that goes on there, right? That's the picture that we're getting here. You have a Heavenly Father by which you can address Him as Father. And He knows your voice. And He knows you as His Son. That's a very personal level. That's a very deep level. And that's a, that's a level that gets sweeter with the more time that you spend with your Heavenly Father. See, I can pick, I can use Melissa and Benson as an example because... They spend so much time together as do the rest of the mamas in this room, right? It could be in the middle of the night. Mama, you're wide awake all of a sudden, right? That comes from a lot of time. And we need to understand the more time we spend with the Heavenly Father, the more that we'll understand this phrase by which we can call Him our Heavenly Father, okay? Now, the reason I separated that out is because Paul's going to take that truth and give us a command. So let me read the whole passage for you. It starts in verse 12 and it goes all the way down through verse 17. Paul writes, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. This is one of the most difficult passages, by the way, in Romans. The most piercing, I guess I should say. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Holy Spirit, which dwells in you, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. So we've got this in which Paul uses this context about adoption, right? And he takes it the whole way. Not only are we heirs of God, but we are fellow heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning God had one son, and in him we are the sons and daughters of God, and we we are co-heirs with the eternal son, right? But because this is true, right, because this is true right here, then what can Paul say? In other words, you have the indicative and now He's going to give you the imperative. You can't live according to the flesh. you know. And some of you guys that have adopted older kids really understands this because you adopted them out of wayward homes that didn't know God or follow God. You bring them into your home and now your expectation is that they know God and walk with God. So, how is it that you feel when they don't walk with you and follow after your way, but they turn back and follow after the way that they knew before the adoption? Well, that's heartbreaking, right? You're going to spend a whole lot of sleepless nights worrying about that. That's in the same thought as that, Paul gives us the command you, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're under obligation. You can't live according to the flesh anymore. I saved you out of a a lost and godless situation. You were dead. I plucked you out of that. So now you're under obligation to live by the Spirit which dwells within you. Right? So in other words, Paul uses your adoption to really hammer this reality home. Now, I've got a friend in Georgia. I couldn't think of his name this afternoon when I was thinking about this. But he really hammers down on Romans 8, and I think it is Galatians Galatians 4, spending a lot of time, more time than I would spend, talking about sonship. And he works with drug addicts. And this is the focal point of his whole ministry. He spends so much time trying to convince them that they're the sons and the daughters of God. They're co-heirs with Christ. And then he goes on, and rightly so, since you've been adopted by God and since you've been filled with the Spirit of God, you can't live like godless children anymore. It makes no sense. You have the power of God dwelling within you, right? And so, you know, he goes on and on and on and on and on about that, but that's how he approaches drug addiction and those sort of things. But you do understand these truths start up here, and you have to realize that. You've been adopted. You've been taken out of who you were and where you were, and you've been placed in a heavenly home. It's who you are now. And you can't go around going... Well I understand that I'm under obligation, but you don't understand I just can't do this or that or I find myself doing this or that. I know I shouldn't do. It. I just I just can't. It just overwhelms me, and overcomes me. that's hogwash. I, Satan's whispered that into your ear and you believed him. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, okay? And to a great degree, not to a final and full degree, but to a great degree, you can live as the sons and daughters of God. Looking forward to the return of Christ when you will absolutely, without a doubt, reflect your Heavenly Father in every way. But yet today, you can live in a great way reflecting His glory. Okay? So adoption is precious, but it's very important in helping us with our battle in sin. You need to understand that. And do that. When you find yourself resting with sin, go back and read through Romans eight and remember, you know, I don't even live in that home anymore. Why am I doing things that came from that home or that lifestyle? I don't have to, right? Simply don't have to. Questions?